doing the right thing at the right time. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. We're delighted to share the next half hour together with you. And if you would, turn to 2 Samuel 11 as we get ready for another Bible study from Pastor Ed Taylor on abounding grace. David's sin with Bathsheba and the murder that followed didn't just happen. Like all sin, the pathway was predictable. And if we're wise, we'll take note of it. So the next time temptation comes knocking on our door, we'll know how to deal with it. Here to help us guard ourselves against temptation is Pastor Ed. When you find your life at the other end of sin, it is conceived. You don't have to allow it to give birth to death because there is always a time to repent. Jesus put it this way in Revelation chapter 2, I gave her time to repent, but she would not turn from her immorality. There is time to repent. God gives it to us all. A time to repent. To recognize our sin is against God and it's against those that we've sinned against. And why does God give time to repent? Because he's so gracious to us. He doesn't approve of our sin. He doesn't, we're not getting away with it. God is gracious and he gives time and he gives time and he gives time. I would dare say in my own life as I have examined things in, my own, in me personally and even situations that are very close to my heart, I sometimes conclude that God gives too much time to repent. I would wish the time period was much shorter than it is sometimes. But that just reminds me that God is more gracious than I am. He's more loving than I am. It reminds me that that's a moment where I need to yield myself to him so that he might pour more of his graciousness and love into my life so that I might agree with him when he gives time to repent. As we read in the rest of the chapter, as we'll get into later, instead of repenting, David starts to scheme. And he gets involved in something that if you would have told him the day that he woke up and the day that he decided to stay back in Jerusalem, that David, you're going to become a murderer and a liar and a schemer, he would have said, you're crazy. I am not that kind of man. I am a man after God's own heart. I love God. I want to serve him. But he didn't And this day. And we don't know what happened leading up to it. But it tends to lead a warning for me that things can happen in a day very quickly upon us. The chapter starts out with David not going to war. We don't miss that. Let me show you. Go over to Ephesians chapter 6, because in that is an illustration for us of how we might walk in strength, how we might walk in strength as we approach each day that we wake up, the days that we have. In Ephesians chapter 6, you know, it could be said, as David doesn't go to war, that like David laid aside his armor. He didn't put his armor on that day. Why? Because he didn't anticipate a war. 
And the Bible speaks to us that we have a spiritual armor. And I wonder how many times we get up in the morning and we lay aside our spiritual armor, expecting that we're not going to go into war. But I'm telling you guys, the minute we wake up and the God has been so gracious to allow us to wake up and take our first breath, man, we are at war. Some of you, you even recognize that there's a spiritual battle in your mind and in your dreams and sometimes in your nightmares of the reality of things that are just on your mind and you can't get away from them and they just keep coming up over and over. We are at war and God has given us the spiritual armor to carry. And, and we go through them here in Ephesians chapter 6. Notice with me in verse 10. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You know, God, he loves you and he has a plan for your life. But the devil hates you and he also has a plan for your life. There, there, is, there is a scheming, there, there is a plotting going on to take you and me down. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that the devil's responsible for all our bad decisions. He's just using the world system, using the powers of temptation, using his people that are in line with him. We think of Judas being in line with the devil. How Judas was a pawn in his hand. Judas being fully responsible for his decisions. But it isn't so much of our warfare. It's in the mind. It's right here. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. So what does we get? What do we get? It says, verse 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this, the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So what are we told to do? Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. You need the belt of truth. Because the belt of truth protects us from believing lies. That is the essence of every bad thing we've ever done. We've believed a lie. That's how it started in the Garden of Eden, man. We just bought the lie. And when you believe a lie, you start acting out on that deception. You need to put your belt of truth. Remember Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 44, he called the devil the father of lies, the very origin of lies. You need to put on your belt of truth. Secondly, notice, you have the breastplate of righteousness that protects your heart. What does the Bible say about your heart? Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 says, above all else, guard your heart because it affects everything you do. Guard your heart. You need, how? By the breastplate of righteousness. You're standing in the Lord. Not only that, put on your feet, in verse 15, the gospel of peace, the preparation of the gospel of peace. On our feet with the gospel of peace keeps us walking in unison with the Father heart of God in loving people. Paul would write to the Romans, he said, how are they going to hear unless you take the gospel to them? It's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. How beautiful are those that our feet are on and we're not walking barefoot on all of the craggy, broken rocks and glass and difficulties. The gospel is the hope of the world. The gospel, the good news, the same thing that saved you. Let me just pause here for a second. With the belt of truth, with the breastplate of righteousness guarding our hearts, with our feet covered with the gospel of peace. If alone you had on your feet the gospel of peace, your feet would not walk in adultery. 
If alone we had the gospel of peace upon our feet, we not, would not walk in sexual sin. You would not go up to your computer and visit those sites. You wouldn't go down to Safeway and buy a debit card because you think you'll never get caught if you buy a debit card, except that everything that you ever do on your computer is recorded by Quest or Comcast and at any time can be recalled. Like, oh, you're getting, if you had the gospel of peace, you would never need to worry about that. Because the gospel of peace doesn't take you in that way. Let me add this. Adultery and fornication in particular are selfish sins. They're selfish and self-centered sins. They're sins that use the other person for your own personal desire. You go, but oh, they agree. Listen, if you're a godly man or a godly woman, you will care more about others than you do for yourself. The next one is the shield of faith. In verse 16, these shoots down, the shield of faith, your faith in the Lord shoots down all the faithless temptations, what Paul would call the fiery darts of the enemy. The shield of faith. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Whatever born of God is overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The helmet, the next one, in verse 17, you take the helmet of salvation. This protects the mind. It protects our thinking. You could even say that the helmet protects our eyes as our eyes are not wandering away from where we're thinking. Jesus, Paul wrote to the Philippians, let this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. How do you get that mind? The helmet of salvation, protecting the most vital organ you have in your body. The sword of truth is the next. The sword of the spirit, the word of God. Of course, this keeps us strong. I mean, the word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Then finally it says in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful. Prayer is such a weapon. It's our lifeline with the Father. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 that we should always pray and not give up. Prayerfulness will keep us away from all sin. David fought the wrong battles. He was victorious in the battlefield, but when it came down to this personal battle, he failed to fight it properly. This is where we're in today, but I want to review with you before we go to put in your heart, because it's been many years since we studied the gospel or the, the letter to James. And I don't want to, I want you to go back to James because I want you to see the pathway to sin. It's predictable. And as my pastor has always taught us, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And I want to drop this into your heart uh, for the sake of those that didn't go through James with us many, many years ago. But in James chapter one, uh, we're given the pathway. It's very predictable. It's very easy to see. Sin always leads to death, always. The end of sin is always. The wages of sin is always death. Please don't forget that. Never do you sidestep that. There isn't one sin out there, small or large, big or small, that doesn't lead to some sort of death or destruction. Any of them, no matter the stage of your life. Death to dreams, death to futures, death to a marriage, death to a friendship, a relationship, death to trust. It could lead to physical death. Some sins lead to spiritual death, eternal separation from God. The, the Bible describes Jesus, when he describes the devil, he calls him a thief. 
because he steals life from us. He steals potential life from us. He steals joy from us. He's a thief. And Jesus said that he doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then opposite of that, Jesus says, but I have come that you may have life and that more abundantly. And notice where it begins in verse 14. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. Number one, sin starts with our desires. That's why what you feed your body, how you feed your mind, what comes in the eye gate, what comes in the ear gate, where you set your life toward. You know, if you want to head up to Windsor, as I did recently uh, to support our friend Pastor Scott and his wife Nancy, when you want to head to Windsor, you've got to get on I-25 and go north. And if you get on I-25 and go north, that will lead you to the off-ramp that you need to take to go to Windsor. That makes sense. Does not, that sounds goofy, huh? You're like, oh, Ed's giving me a driving lesson. Thank you very much. I have Siri. She tells me. Okay, okay, look. Look, I'm painting a picture for you. If you want to go to Windsor, you don't set your car going south. Because if you set your car going south, you will go south, far away from Windsor. You won't get anywhere near where you want. And when you set your life and your mind and your thoughts, the entirety of your life, away from God, every single second your life is set there, you are getting farther away from the things of God. And yes, this applies to believers. This is not just an unbelieving life. We go, oh, you know, I know unbelievers. I kind of did that in the world. I was partying and I, that's how I lived my life. But if you're a believer, it's even worse because you're doing, you're sinning against knowledge. And if you decide, you come back, you go, you know, you know Ed, I got in trouble. I, I, I found myself in Colorado Springs, and I went to the bar that I usually went to, and I hooked up with some friends, and, and I say, wait a minute, weren't you going to Windsor? Yeah. Well, how'd you end up in Colorado Springs? Your desires. That's where you headed. That's where you set your car. The longer you got there, a different off-ramp came. It's the same in life. We have natural desires. God's given us desires. Desires to eat, desires to drink. You know, we have a, a desire to breathe. I'm thankful God made that an involuntary thing in our lives so that we can breathe and our heart can beat overnight. But we desire, if you get knocked in the, if you got sucker punched, you immediately have a desire to breathe. You want to catch your breath. These things are good in the right context. But these things can be so quickly outside the will of God. You can choose in your desire to eat, to eat things that are not healthy for you to eat things that will harm you. You can desire in your, in your desire to drink, you can drink things that will bring you under their, under their power. You can drink yourself into drunkenness and find yourself doing things. You can drink things that will harm you. You know, you think of breathing, what God has given you, the apparatus to breathing. You know, I started thinking about that. I mean, you can do really damaging things to your lungs by what you choose to breathe in or what you choose to put through your nose what you choose to inhale. It can be a really bad thing. They can be, natural desires can, be some, come so quickly out, can become sin so quickly outside of the will of God. And that's really the problem with desires. When we seek to fulfill our desires by leaving the path that God has set before us. It's like a, sort of like a nice garden. You know, a nice garden in our backyard where 
it's been cared for and taken care of and you fertilize it and you've taken care of it so that the soil is exactly the way you want it. You've spent years getting it to this. You've had crops in your backyard of tomatoes and things because you have really worked the ground and you've gotten the soil so dark and so rich and so filled with nutrients that you're very happy with all that dirt in your backyard. But if your kids were out playing in the backyard and it was wet and muddy and they ran in through the back sliding glass door with that black mud on their feet, that black dirt doesn't belong on your new white carpet, does it? You're not so happy about your black dirt. Outside, eh, tomatoes, Brussels sprouts, whatever you want to grow. On your carpet, somebody's in trouble because it has its place. It's not so beautiful anymore in the wrong place. Same with our desires. That's where it begins. Secondly, in verse 14, first, our desires are aroused. Secondly, we're enticed. Enticed. We're lured. The idea is drawn away. The idea behind this word is to bait the trap or to bait the hook like any good fisherman or any good hunter would be to have the right equipment to get what you need. To, to catch that fish. Our natural desire, Satan hooks us to go the wrong way. Sportsmen always use the bait that they need when they want to catch something, which is the only few times I've ever gone fishing, I just don't get it. I don't understand it. And I don't understand all those. But when Louis was here, for, man, he's a master fisherman. The guy Troy also, a master fisherman. They could tell you without a blink of the eye that they, they, you would be one of those guys out there waiting forever, waiting forever, and then you pull it up and you're like, they're like, why haven't you caught anything? And there's a marshmallow on your hook. And then Troy shows up in his bass boat and he just talks to the fish and they jump in the boat because he knows what he's doing. He's a professional. The devil's a professional. And he knows if marshmallows don't work for you, he's not wasting his time on marshmallows. He is, although he doesn't know everything, the devil's not all knowing like God. He's been around long enough. He's studied human behavior. He also understands the Bible. The Bible says the demons tremble. They don't believe. They believe, but they don't tremble. You know, they, they believe in, they, they, the, 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 the demons know the scriptures and it moves them to respond to them, but they don't believe like you and I believe. They don't believe like you and I. They know, they know how to trap us. The temptation always makes the painful hook look more attractive. And you didn't know it was a hook until you bit into it. Now, no temptation appears as temptation, church. It always seems more attractive and less harmful than it really is. And that's exactly what Satan combined with our own flesh. He always hides the consequences of sin, which is the hook. He craftily hides and says, oh, come on, it's no big deal. Nobody's going to know. It's all right. It's customary for kings. No big deal. Stop being so old-fashioned. You want it, just go get it. Don't listen to your parents. I mean, after all, wait, look at all the failures your parents made. You know, one of the things that I did very early on as a parent, as a believer, is I told the truth to my kids straight up of the kind of stupid things I did in life and the price that I paid. I told my kids as early as I could at an age-appropriate level the kind of pain that it looked like when I had to tell Marie's mom that her 15-year-old daughter was pregnant. When I looked her mom in the eye, I wanted them to know, don't go this way. Don't go this way. On and on. I mean, I had enough to share for a long time 
warning them. Because I know kids, well, you know, you did it. Listen, listen. If I could make the choice again, I wouldn't do it. I promise you that. If I, know, if I knew then what I know now, early on from the beginning, the beginning stages of the sinfulness of my life, hurting people and bullying people and taking advantage of people at a young age, man, if I knew the kind of weight and pain and guilt and sorrow and sadness I would put into, man, no way, I'll never do it again. Never. And I wanted my kids to know that because I wanted to take away from them another reason that they could use Well, you know, you did it. Yeah, I did. And it was nasty bad. Do you want nasty bad for your life? It's your life. But man, God wants so much more for you. He loves you. And he's allowed me to experience, like David, some really bad things so you don't have to. You can enjoy life. And as the kids were growing up, as they entered into their careers, as my kids are now, I'm always now, I'm changing I'm changing what I'm saying. I'm saying, yes, you know, they come home so happy. Something's happened in their life. They get a good grade or something, some blessing in their life. And I say, yep, those are the benefits of doing life right in the Lord. And I always want to know, this is the reward. This is it. I don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. This is it. Every time I find, I'm looking for things in their life to show them that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And it's never too late to do that. And it's never too late to choose to live that way. But just understand, there's a lot of hooks of temptation hidden with the bait. Not only that, he says in verse 15, when desire has conceived, that's the launching into sin, conception. The word conceived literally means to spawn. So the desire and the hook spawns sin. This is actually a word in the Greek that was used for the animal kingdom. It's not a good description of us. To live like animals and not like men and women that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Like the two previous words, these are used to show that when a person, when you and I go after sin, certainly the topic is adultery and fornication, but it's true for anything in our lives. We should, be, we should hate sin in every form and fashion. All, even the agreeable and acceptable sins and things that, that, that maybe aren't talked about a lot, they're all damaging. And you know, we're not going to live perfect lives, but man, we can live toward the Lord and not away from him. We'll make a lot less mistakes. We'll get tripped up a lot less. We'll have a lot less pain in our lives. And and I I recognize I'm not a perfect man. I make mistakes. I make mistakes with my mouth. I make mistakes in my head. I, I do, but man, I'm telling you, I don't want to. I don't want to live like this. I want to grow in God's grace. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And the final thing, of course, in verse 15 is death. It's death. That's where sin ends. It's a promise of God. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he'll also reap. Sin always brings forth death. It may take days or it may take weeks. It may take months or even years. You may have some secret sin that you haven't dealt with. You may even think it's no big deal and God doesn't care and you haven't been caught yet. But as we started is how we'll end. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure of it. When it's full grown, it always brings forth death. Pastor Ed Taylor pointing out how sin works in our lives, as well as David's life. It's the same across the board. And this is Abounding Grace.
We've been looking at the 11th chapter of 2 Samuel. It's a message we've titled, Doing the Right Thing at the Right Time. Request the CD for just $2 by calling us at 877-30-GRACE. You can also access the audio file online at calvaryaurora.org. There you'll find a wide variety of resources designed to help strengthen your relationship with Christ and grow in God's abounding grace. Again, we're at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is by downloading the Calvary Aurora app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. When you do, you'll also notice the Grace FM Colorado app. That would be a good one to add to your mobile device, too. Again, that's the Calvary Aurora and the Grace FM Colorado apps, a great way to fill up on the teaching of God's Word throughout the week and stay connected with us. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing Bible teaching to your station every day, and we rely on the support of our listeners to do that. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'll send you the book Radical Prayer by Manny Mill. So call 877-30-GRACE so we can get that right out to you. Let me also give you our mailing address, Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. Next time on Abounding Grace, we'll continue Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 2 Samuel. Thank you for listening today, and we'll look for you tomorrow as we open the Word together in search of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace This is unfailing love That you would take my place That you would bear my cross You laid down your life That I would be set free Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor is presented by Calvary Chapel, Aurora.